today. The National Archives was blocked from making a statement in Biden's classified document scandal. Jim Jordan leads a hearing on the border crisis and a popular video game played by teens promotes their new transgender characters. We've got all of that and more coming up and it all starts right now. Welcome again to the news and why it matters, the Frozen edition. I am uh, Sarah Gonzalez, and we have been pivoting all day today. It's been up in the air as to the weather, um, and so we're taping a little bit earlier than normal. And uh, we were going to be joined by Eric July. We might be later on in the program, but for now, you've got myself and uh, John Doyle, Blaze TV contributor John Doyle, also host of Heck Off Commie, who, I don't know, do you have heat where you're at, John? Because I notice you're, very, you're dressed for, uh, for the cold. Yes, well, I wanted to be able to indicate to the audience that this was, in fact, a special edition of News & Why, the Frozen edition, <laughs> as you so accurately described. And yeah, you know, I was ready to drive out to the studio because I would do literally anything to keep the show going. But I was able to just get some use out of this studio, actually. You know, I, I, I've kind of forgot how nice it is, how much I enjoy sitting uh, behind this desk. So, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm glad that we could uh, rejuvenate your <laughs> feelings about sitting behind the desk and perhaps making content. Um, yes. Okay, so before we get into to, to the news, John, I have to ask you, um, because I, I talk to people who are from out of town. You're obviously from Michigan. Do you just view Texas as complete sissies for what happens when the weather gets cold and we get any sort of ice? Yes, and I, but let me just say <laughs> for the record, if I had to pick between like 100 Texans and 100 Michiganders in terms of like who I would want with me to like take the country back, I'm picking the Texans, I acknowledge that. However, okay. and th this That's isn't fair. your fault, but it just is the case that you guys don't know how to drive in snow. And we have literally right now a dusting and the entire like DFW metropolitan area has virtually shut down. People are stocking up on groceries. And it's very funny for me to kind of witness that because, and I the first time I witnessed that was actually I think two years ago, there was this big winter snowstorm and I was driving back mm -hmm. from Arizona and I'm coming in and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. But then it was like a dusting and there's semis on the side of the road and all this nonsense. And I'm like going through roundabouts at like normal speed, like waving at people who are up on curbs and everything. So <laughs> I do actually take some pride in that skill. Like being able to drive in the snow, I think is a, a good skill to have. So yeah, it's all don't mess with Texas. And then you get a little dusting of snow and then everything just shuts down. It's true. Don't mess with Texas until it snows. Um, so, okay, we talked about this yesterday, John. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I feel like it's just a, a broken record at this point. But there is more every day that comes out with this whole Biden classified document scandal. Um, so I want to give the audience the latest. So Joe Biden's personal attorney, uh, Bob Bauer, did confirm that the FBI did search Joe Biden's uh, Rehoboth Beach home today. They say that they didn't find any classified documents. Uh, they did take handwritten notes, the FBI did, from Joe Biden's home. Uh, the search took place from about 8.30 a.m. to noon. And of course, they always make sure to point this out. They go, well, it was fully supported and cooperation, full cooperation from Joe Biden. Um, and it just, it's very, very odd to me, John, because we're hearing about this at the same time that what we covered yesterday was 
Actually, it turns out that there was an FBI search back in November that nobody bothered to tell the public about uh, after Joe Biden's personal attorneys found classified documents at that Penn Biden think tank. Strangely enough, right before the midterms, nobody shared that information with the American public and people started asking why. Well, the latest report is that the National Archives was prevented from notifying the public that classified documents had been found. The question is, who blocked them from giving that information? And uh, apparently, uh, according to uh, James Comer, the only two entities that could have given the order are the White House and the Department of Justice. So we're either looking at Joe Biden or A.G. Merrick Garland. Um, obviously, we keep hearing from the Biden administration, you know, Karine Jean-Pierre, we are fully cooperating. We are so transparent about this. That's why we just keep tossing these documents over. That's why we're letting, you know, we're just personally giving the, all of these documents to the FBI, to the DOJ. Don't worry, we're not hiding anything before we give it to them. Uh, it just seems really, really bizarre uh, and too much of a coincidence that this would happen, A, right before the midterms, and B, now all of a sudden we're hearing that the National Archives was actually blocked from being transparent about it. What's your take on this? I think what we're starting to see is basically like the transition away from Joe Biden as president. I mean, the guy has always been a puppet. And I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, he's beholden to other forces against his own will or even that he's too stupid to understand what's going on. Both of those things are true. But that's sort of a feature of our system that the presidents in particular, uh, if you're, you know, operating within a coalition like Joe Biden is, is going to be a puppet insofar as he's not actually the one who's making decisions. He is going to basically be the figurehead and our government is actually run by this anonymous bureaucracy. And they know that they're not going to be able to fortify their way into 81 million votes next time around, whether it's because of the disastrous job of the Biden administration, the things that have been done by competent Republican leaders at the state level, uh, and also Donald Trump even gaining momentum in the last few weeks with policy statements, recent polling, things like that. So they know that they're not going to be able to do this a second time around. And so I think that they're probably trying to pivot away from Joe Biden towards somebody maybe like Gavin Newsom, uh, one of these younger, more charismatic people who could actually be the new direction of the Democrat Party, but who's still willing, of course, to go along with all their disastrous policies. I mean, look at Gavin Newsom state, for example, if you want a, a good litmus test for exactly what his governing style would be like. So it's sort of interesting because the way that our government functions as opposed to maybe a executive branch of maybe 100 years ago where the executive or the president, I should say, is literally the chief executive, our president now doesn't really have that much power. And because he doesn't have that much power, he doesn't inspire the same type of loyalty. So Joe Biden doesn't inspire loyalty the way even someone like Barack Obama would have in the sense that Barack Obama is like a calculated political actor. He's competent, at least at wielding power. People aren't going to want to cross him. Joe Biden is just a placeholder. And so it doesn't really matter. People are very willing to throw him under the bus and then just go work for the uh, Newsom administration or something like that. So I think that's probably what we're seeing here because again, Joe Biden, he was, you know, a good candidate in 2020. He had the name recognition. He had that smile. He could, for some reason, appeal to the blue collar workers. But part of being a coalition of people that is like built upon evil and degeneracy and just like disgusting ideas is it's tough to find people to actually represent you who aren't off putting to the public. And so Joe Biden is becoming more and more senile. So they're going to need somebody. It's not going to be Kamala Harris. It's not going to be, you know, any of these other characters. So they're probably going to go for someone like Gavin Newsom. 
So I don't disagree with you there, but I keep trying to figure out because it, no, obviously it can't be Kamala. Did you see her the other day talking about, you know, space and explaining the process of astronauts like gearing up to shoot out into space? Like she was talking yes. to kindergartners. Like I realize, I realize it was painful. Um, I realize that it can't be Kamala, but how do the Democrats, like the optics surrounding that of just tossing, you know, their first, oh my gosh, we've got the first woman, African-American, what, what, the Indonesian. I mean, they, they took all of the, uh, you know, uh, intersectional points and we're like, she's the first, all these things. And now she's vice president. It's monumental. It's historic. And then they're like, yeah, actually, it turns out we don't like her. So we're not actually going to promote her. Like how, how do they get away with that optics wise? Because I can't work it out in my head. Well, it's because, as we know, it's not actually genuine. You know, they love talking about how it's so great that we have all these diversity hires, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to actually getting people out to vote, people aren't going to turn out for Kamala Harris, but they would turn out for somebody like Joe Biden, though not as much as maybe 81 million. And they would turn out for somebody like Gavin Newsom or somebody more charismatic, <laughs> because as we know, all of these AOCs or Ilhan Omars or Kamala Harris's, they love charismatic young white men. And if you've got a Gavin Newsom turning out, I think that that would be very well for them or would uh, perform very well for them. So yeah, of course they're gonna wanna talk about how it'd be so nice to have all these diversity hires, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of actually like putting a candidate out there, um, they're going to probably put, you know, like another white guy out there, frankly, which maybe, I, hey, I don't agree with that. That, I am offended by that, but that's what they're gonna end up doing anyways, so. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to switch gears here and talk about the committee hearing, the judicial committee hearing on the border crisis. So this is the first committee hearing of the Republican, obviously the new Republican-led House. Uh, committee chair is Jim Jordan, who really came out swinging, as you would expect. They spoke with uh, a sheriff from an Arizona border town. Um, they, look, they... It's interesting because we're seeing more and more all of these, you know, there was a leftist judge from El Paso, um, the, but we're seeing more and more, even in El Paso, even where there are uh, leftist authority figures in local government, whether it be mayors or, you know, sheriffs or whatever, they are all on board with this because they're seeing the devastating effects of this border crisis. I want to play for you, uh, Jim Jordan, here at this committee hearing. Watch. Chaos on our southern border is not an accident. It's intentional. It's by design. What I would do as president is several more things. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. Fentanyl coming across our, our border like we've never seen before. Do you believe that right now there's a crisis at the border? I think that the, uh, uh, the answer is no is taking the opioid epidemic to a new level of urgency. The DEA has warned rainbow fentanyl appears to be a method used by the drug cartels to enhance the appeal of fentanyl, particularly for kids. Fentanyl deaths are on the rise with an alarming number of cases being among young children. Fentanyl deaths among children are rising faster than any other age group. Illicit use of the synthetic opioid painkiller has ravaged the United States. And Mexican drug cartels now see huge profits and an addicted market for the drug. Well, uh, that was not actually the right clip, but it turns out whenever you work from home, sometimes uh, there are mistakes that are made. But uh, the, the, the clip that was supposed to be played was 
basically the same idea, but Jim Jordan at the committee hearing, uh, you know, talking about all of these devastating effects, talking about fentanyl. And John, I know you and I have talked uh, about this many times before, um, but I think that it's important for people to remember that when we're talking about uh, the border issue, the border crisis, the left constantly gets to take the high road. You know, they, they portray themselves as these, uh, you know, well, they're empathetic. They, they're the ones who care. They're compassionate. We're not. And in reality, when you look at the devastating effects that uh, have taken place, whether it be sex trafficking or human trafficking or fentanyl, uh, you know, all of these overdosing that we're seeing in all of these American cities, uh, whether it be, I don't know, people who are coming in who are on terror watch lists and pose a threat to the safety of Americans or just bad people who are coming in and committing crimes here in America. It just doesn't seem very compassionate to me that the left doesn't want to handle this issue. Yeah. And the people who are from those countries, I mean, the areas that are more impoverished or war-torn, that's one thing. But for the most part, immigrants who live here now like will describe their countries of origin more favorably than America, except for the economic opportunities. So they like really have problems with certain aspects of American culture or way of life, but they'll say, well, you know, I have a better economic opportunity here. So for now I'll live here. But the problems that we're supposed to be dealing with in the 21st century are things like conquering the stars or solving traffic or things like that. But we have decided to reduce ourselves to the most like base component or componental problems of civilization. Like the first problem you're going to have if you have a country is the border. I mean, literally what your territory is. These are problems that not only have been solved for centuries, but we could solve this within a presidential administration if we were serious people. I mean, the level of wealth that we have in terms of like how much money we're actually giving our federal government to do things like this, the level of technological access we have, we could solve immigration within a presidential administration. And I mean, not only securing the border and preventing people from coming over, but I mean getting all the illegal aliens back. There's probably something like 50 million of them here. You could actually do that within a few years. And it would be tough. It would, you know, have a lot of economic, I guess, uh, uh, aftershock. But ultimately, 10 years down the line, our country is going to be a lot safer. And it's going to be a lot cleaner. And it's going to be a lot more prosperous and trusting of itself uh, if that were actually the case. And so it is true that this is entirely intentional because people make a lot of money and they get a lot of power by destabilizing our country through this. And you even see this throughout history. Like during the later stages of the Roman Empire, one of the strategies for maintaining power over the native population was to import uh, groups of people from other countries, other nations, because if you have a bunch of different ethnic groups within one country, inevitably there's going to be conflict. And we think that we can surpass this with enough diversity training. It's just not. You're not going to conquer human nature. Human nature is very tribal. We're very competitive. And what you see when you have a multi-ethnic country functioning under the framework of a liberal democracy is a bunch of different interest groups competing for power. So that's why they're doing it. And you know they'll say it's because we want to help these people. If you want to help these people, Encourage them to save their own country. Encourage, maybe stop like funding conflicts mm -hmm. to destabilize their country, topple their regimes. You know, fund drug traffickers that slaughter families and police officers and politicians. Like these people are systematically like exporting chaos to the rest of the world, creating these migration crises, and then they all come here and they're like, oh well, we have to help them. And well, we don't have to. We could just, I don't know, stop messing up their their countries in the first place.
Yeah, I couldn't uh, agree more, John. All right, we've um, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We will be back with more. First, we want to thank our sponsor here, Birch Gold. So, you know, I like I don't have to tell if you're watching this. I don't have to tell you that uh, things are not looking great when you're talking about the United States. I don't know, blowing through the 31.4 trillion dollar debt ceiling just in January. I almost said this month. It's February now. Back in January, they did that. Uh, the the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. It's not looking good. It's pretty bleak out there, folks. And so if you want to make sure that you keep the money that you earned, that you've been saving, your retirement nest egg, make sure that you diversify into gold with Birch Gold. Uh, in times of really high uncertainty, historically, gold has been king. It's very, very dependable. You can text the word Y to 989898. They're going to send you a free information kit on gold and how you can convert your IRA or 401k into precious metals. Uh, again, this is no obligation. There's no reason not to do it. At least make sure that you are educated on this, and then you can choose what to do with your savings before the left devalues it even further. You can text the word Y to 989898. <laughs> So I want to switch gears here and talk about January 6th, because now news is coming out that the chief investigative counsel for the House January 6th committee, you know, the, that whole big dog and pony show, the circus uh, with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger probably crying, I don't know, um, they concluded that failures by federal law enforcement officials played a significant role in the January 6th riot. And if those agencies had acted on the intelligence that they had beforehand, they could have prevented the riot. But of course, you didn't hear that from the January 6th committee because this uh, this chief investigative counsel, this is former federal prosecutor Tim Heffy, he revealed his findings to NBC News, and he said that the Democrat-controlled committee left out its left out all of this in its televised hearings and final report, and they also actually like contradicted what the final report said from this investigative counsel because, of course, it didn't fit their narrative. And I I would say that this isn't a surprise to me. I know it's not a surprise to you, John, but. It's just really frustrating because when you hear things coming out of this investigation, like uh, the Capitol Police failed to deploy enough force to, to defend the building, uh, the FBI and DHS, the federal agencies that were charged with collecting intelligence about domestic extremists, didn't do enough to, to sound some sort of alarm about a threat that they knew that was taking place. Uh, there was confusion about which federal agency was in charge, so they weren't even show or they weren't even sure who to go to. Um, they didn't publish the FBI and DHS didn't publish a joint intelligence bulletin about the threats that they were already seeing, which they could have obviously then been more prepared for. And it's just really frustrating, especially when we're talking about the weaponization of these same agencies. We're talking about the weaponization of all of these alphabet agencies against the American public, and then you're also seeing on top of that. What do we what do we notice whenever there is a let's say there's a you know, there's a, a mass shooter. Um, there's a let's talk about Parkland High School in, in Florida. What happened there? Oftentimes, when it comes down to it, what do we find out later? Law enforcement had enough information to act and they failed to do so. So why do we continue passing all, all of these laws? We're having this January 6th committee hearing. We're talking about all of these things that, you know, we need to do to prevent things from happening. And it's like, no, actually, it just sounds like all of your, you know, bureaucracies are completely failing. And maybe that's the problem instead, John. 
Yeah, you're exactly correct. And, and that's the thing, too, is the bureaucracies are designed to fail. Uh, like, what's the saying? You know, you never waste a good crisis. And whether it's with the mass shootings, like you mentioned, and virtually in every case, the perpetrator was always on the radar of some component of law enforcement, whether it was local, state, even mm -hmm. federal in many cases, and they always fail to act. Like in the one that happened uh, a few months ago, I think in Colorado maybe, this person was, I, I guess they had been charged with like threatening to murder or kidnap their mother or something like that. Or of course, the big example in Parkland with Nicholas Cruz, this guy was on the, the radar of the FBI for making threats and things like that. And they never actually follow up on it. But they do follow up on it if it's a case where you've got a bunch of, you know, middle-aged guys just kind of shooting the breeze mm -hmm. in, a, in a group chat because Gretchen Whitmer was tyrannically exercising power in Michigan. And I'm imagining her chief of staff or somebody got, uh, you know, a memo on their desk and, hey, you know, we have this thing that we saw. These guys who are infiltrating this group chat saw that someone like made a joke about, you know, kidnapping Gretchen Whitmer. And there was a decision that was made to turn that into a big thing so that Gretchen could say, well, I'm just trying to keep my people safe in Michigan. And these right wing terrorists are coming after me, blah, 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 because everyone's like, oh, Gretchen, we're so sorry. It's the same thing with J6, where law enforcement was told to stand down. They were told to let people into the Capitol. We have this on video. This is like unambiguous. And then once the sun went down and they had all their photos and everything, then they sent more police in and the crowd dispersed like within an hour. Like they got it under control very quickly when they decided to get it under control. And this actually ties in perfectly with what we were talking about earlier. We can be competent. We can be the most competent government in the world. We just choose not to be because it's more convenient to the people who pull the strings to have these displays of incompetence so they can be like, oh, we're trying so hard, but all these domestic terrorists are just flanking us and ruining our country. So now we have to mobilize the post 9-11 legal infrastructure with the national security apparatus to target American patriots with greater, I guess, uh, ferociousness than we use to target the mass shooters. Like you can, you know, make a joke in a group chat, you're gonna get a knock on your door. You can, you know, be seen outside the Capitol on January 6th, you're gonna get a knock at your door. But be in conversation with federal agents talking about committing acts of mass violence, you're gonna be fine and they're actually gonna, you know, stand back and allow you to do that basically. Yeah, so I guess, I, I couldn't agree more, but I, I guess my question too is, how do we how do we fix it? Because if it, when it is the bureaucracy, right, it is the FBI, it is the DOJ, it is, you know, we just covered the story yesterday about Mark Hook, who um, was finally, you know, acquitted on all of these bogus charges that the, the DOJ had waged levied against him. But it's not it was not just him. Right. They're they're charging all of these pro-life activists with bogus charges. Uh, they're coming after, you know, regular people if they waved a flag at the Capitol on January 6th. Like they are definitely putting pressure on the American public. And I think that, you know, people watch this program a lot and they feel dejected. They feel, you know, demoralized because they're like, yeah, I agree all of these problems exist, but how do we fix it? Because who, who's going to solve it? Um, I, yeah. I agreed with Ted Cruz when the left tried to, uh, I think that they thought that they got a gotcha on him whenever they asked him about defunding the FBI. And he was like, yeah, I think we should defund the FBI. And they were like, oh, can you believe Ted Cruz said that? And I'm like, where's the lie? Like, yeah. I'm sorry, is that supposed to be some gotcha? I totally agree with him. Well, I mean, what, what's, what's the solution in your opinion? 
you have to get somebody in the executive branch who's willing to become once again the chief executive. And this is one of the things, obviously I love Trump, but one of the things that he's articulated very recently in his policy platform is implementing a theory of the executive branch that would allow him to, I think it's through Schedule F, basically fire uh, as many bureaucrats as he wants. And this is good because you need to be able to purge those who are in opposition to your agenda, which you know is maybe scary language, but this is just the essence of politics. I'll give you an example. The vaccine mandate, which thankfully was overturned in a lot of courts, so it wasn't very effective in the long term. But the reason the Democrats wanted to mandate uh, vaccines, whether it was when you're working for the government or you're in the military, isn't really because they cared. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them actually believed it, but the people who are actually making those decisions knew that that's a very good proxy to eliminate people who are the most likely to be in opposition to your agenda. You can come out and make a big you know, statement about it with your comms team and say it's about safety and stopping the spread and blah, blah, blah. It's really just about getting people who are the most likely to be in opposition to your regime out. And we could do the same thing. For example, we could have all bureaucrats, if they're going to work for the government, be on the government payroll, they have to sign a document saying that they acknowledge that there are only two genders or they denounce the Church of Satan, something like that. And, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but it actually would work because a lot of people would be like, I'm not signing. This is ridiculous. Not understanding that what we're really trying to do is get people who are the most far left out of there. Now, that's one thing. Honestly, if you get someone in there who's competent, they could just fire them anyway. I mean, you need loyalty tests, you need litmus tests, things like that, because as long as those bureaucrats are allowed to exist there, they're just going to keep, you know, the trains running on, well, not running on time, but their trains running inadequately and insufficiently, and it's going to, like, destroy the whole country. I paid $8 for eggs the other day because of these people. You need something like that, and that really <laughs> comes down to people at our level putting pressure on, you know, the grassroots people, the authentically right-wing people at the state level or at the federal mm -hmm. level to, like, do things, because um, I spent some time recently at the Texas State Capitol, and I'm not liking what I, I mean, there's, like, a significant majorities in both chambers of, of state Congress, but like nothing is getting done. I mean, even like with the drag queen stuff, it's not getting done just because these people don't have like a fire under their butt. So we need people to do that. People are, how do I help? How do I help? Drive down and yell at people. It's like you, you can just do that. I mean, that's, it's like the easiest thing ever. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, well, I would add to that, too, like not do drive down and yell at people, but also uh, send them, you know, blast them on social media. That seems to be creating a lot of a, a stir as well, because as we're seeing so often, these lawmakers don't have the backbone to withstand people saying mean things about them on social media, which is why we've seen the decay of society, because it's historically it's just been the left, right, who's been like blasting them online. And then you have these these they call themselves conservative Republican lawmakers who refuse to do anything when they know that something's wrong because they, but they're I'm afraid that the, that leftist will call me homophobic or transphobic on the internet and I don't like that we need to be the ones that they're scared of yeah, and that's the wonderful thing. We all know politicians, for the most part, are spineless. They're just like, you know, these scared cowards in suits. But that's good, because as long as you bully them in the right direction, they'll do what you want, too. It's not just like a, it's not like a ratchet. Like, if you're on social media being like, you know, oh, interesting, you voted no on this bill. I have your home address. Don't, that's a, well, don't do that. But, you know, something like that, something that's like scary and, you know, telling them that they're gay or something. I don't know. It'll work. You can actually get them. You can bully them into passing bills and doing things like that. Because ultimately, they want the cushy job. They want to work five hours a week reading bills that were written by their staffers. It's a very easy job, you know, getting paid the speaking fees, the book deals, the consultant, whatever. 
all they want is to not get have people mad at them. And if you just simply like manufacture yep. indignation in their direction, you can bully them into doing what you want. Yeah. Uh, again, the left has done it for a really long time. I think it's about time that we engage in that as well. Um, all right. I want to remind all of you guys that um, if you didn't hear yesterday when I was talking about it, Alex Stein coming out with a new show that's launching on Blaze TV. It's called Primetime with Alex Stein. Um, you've seen Alex on my show. So, you know, this is going to be like the craziest, the craziest freaking show in the history of the world. Who knows what's going to happen? But you're going to want to make sure to tune in. It premieres February 8th. And uh, you can go to blazetv.com slash primetime. If you use this is his promo code. I didn't come up with it, obviously. They're telling me that I need to tell you to use promo code PIMP on a blimp for $20 off of your subscription. That is blazetv.com slash primetime. I want to welcome to the program Eric July, Blaze TV contributor and host, I'm sorry, owner and founder of Ripiverse Comics. Um, and but just, just so I'm clear, Eric was not late. We decided to change things on a whim and uh, tape early. So we <laughs> we're usually we're Wait, usually late. What? Not this time. Not not this time. You know, CP time. You know, you I don't want that. any. I don't want to spread any rumor. I don't want to spread any rumors. <laughs> he was not late. Was, there's no CPT. Is just uh, we changed it on him, so I appreciate you joining us, Eric. Um, we're we're I'm actually I'm glad that you're here for this segment because we are talking about something that I know you are all too familiar with. Both of you are all too familiar with um, social media and internet censorship. But um, I want to cover this Project Veritas uh, claim on this this insider, this YouTube insider who leaked uh, um, a. Urgent guidance, this is what they're calling it, an urgent guidance to that was distributed to all of these YouTube employees uh, that how to handle this Pfizer expose. So they had all of this. Um, I'm, I'm zooming in on my computer here so I can read it, too. But uh, it says uh, they have to check all of the metadata, confirm that the following uh, violative timestamp is present. Um, and it says... The quote, our undercover journalist asked Walker how Pfizer is handling the fact that their COVID vaccines are ineffective against virus variants. Um, I thought that you were allowed to say that now on YouTube, but YouTube was very, very careful to distribute all of this to employees to make sure that they knew that they needed to remove uh, violative re-uploads of this content. We know that they removed the original, but they wanted to make sure that they removed vi violative re-uploads of this content as it spreads harmful misinformation about approved vaccines against COVID-19. Um, and they were very quick to make sure to shut all of this down. I, I, I can't keep up. I really can't keep up because I thought that we were allowed to say now that it doesn't work against other variants. But now we're not allowed to say that when it's a very explosive bombshell uh, interview with someone who suggests that there could be some sort of gain of function. I'm sorry. That's. That was the old and busted term. The new hotness is directed evolution, that there could be directed evolution going on. And now YouTube is up to their same tricks again, I guess. Um, Eric, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the floor first. Yeah, like I think this more has to do with the fact that 
Pfizer themselves or kind of was involved certainly in this. And what you have is that one company is working with another to try to suppress this sort of information. It doesn't really violate any sort of policy that it is that they have. To your point, uh, they went back on a lot of what it is that they had before. And really, this it was more talking about their, their old policy was going against what the WHO had said. And even this doesn't necessarily go against this. So this just has to do with the fact that Pfizer, of course, I don't know if it's because of ad money, because I do know that they have been paying a lot of people, definitely celebrities and all that to, let's say, push this jab. And I don't know if that had a lot to do with it, that they're one of their big partners now with some of the ad stuff. So they just want to save them. But at least we do have other forms of social media that has allowed us to get this story out of there. It is very important. Uh, I hadn't got a chance to actually even talk about that, that that this whole changing of the definition of what gain of function uh, certainly is. We got wind of that with Fauci when he was getting grilled by uh, Rand Paul on the same very subject. And now all of a sudden they're trying to change the terminology. So the reality is it doesn't really violate anything other than, well, this is a company that has been spreading uh, this jab, pushing this jab, probably paying YouTube in order to push it. And they don't like the fact uh, or those implications that, well, maybe it, it's not as certainly effective and it looks bad with uh, one of our partners. So I guess if we're going to talk about what's evil and what's corrupt, we have to start there. And then why are they protecting Pfizer in the way that they are? Yeah, John. I think the most annoying part about these journalists is uh, the self-righteous component. Like, it's one thing if you're going to distort the truth. You know, we all get a little creative sometimes. But the way that they believe that they're actually, like, speaking truth to power is so annoying because these people are literally, like, getting paid, like Eric said, by Pfizer to censor certain information about this, to promote other information about this. And they're, like, whining. Like, imagine getting your, you know, four-year journalism degree and then you're sitting there at your desk, probably working remotely with your iced coffee, like, waiting for the email from Pfizer to tell you what you're supposed to write about that day. Whereas you have the Project Veritas journalists who are like pretending to be gay, going on grinder dates, recording these people just to get information. <laughs> Those are people who should actually be receiving the, award, the awards for uh, true journalism in this country. Did you see, did you see John, the, um, the statement that Pfizer finally put out where they, it was very weird because they were like, no, we're not, we're not doing any directed evolution. But then later on in the, in the next paragraph, they were like, all right, well, sometimes we splice some things together if it's not yeah. giving us what we need. Like it, I was like, wait, you just admitted to this. Even Dr. Malone was like, yeah, they, they they just admitted that they were doing this. And and it's not being covered at all in the mainstream media. Yeah, I mean, this is just like so telling on what actually characterizes the left because these people forever were anti-war. Now they're pro-war with Russia. These people were anti-Big Pharma forever. Now they're disinviting you from family gatherings if you're not like triple vaccinated. So like literally what unites these people, what they are, is simply people who want people like us, who they perceive to be evil, Saturday morning cartoon bad guys, to be miserable. Like they are willing to vote for policies that lower the standard of living. They're willing to vote for policies that make the country more dangerous. Like they're cognizant of this to some degree, but they are okay with it simply because they think it makes people like us, who they view as evil, more miserable. Like they're really just willing to just like wave in our face like ha and like ruin our entire civilization simply because they think that we're evil. Yeah, Eric, getting myocarditis to own the cons, I guess. <laughs> That's uh, uh, certainly a lot of what, what this is. But, I mean, when you look at how they're defining this, this new sort of gain of function, I think 
we're not speaking enough about just how evil it is that they're doing. Now, they're just trying to justify it. If you read that statement, it's essentially like, hey, in order to protect you guys um, and continue to test mm-hmm. against, let's say, future variants, we kind of have to do that. But it is actually gain gain of function. That's specifically what it is, where it looks like they're taking these viruses, increasing the lethality uh, of them, changing them to make them more dangerous. And they're testing, let's say, on that particular product that absolutely is gain of function, at least by the old definition. And what they're doing now is trying to weasel. So this is certainly villainous what they're doing, but they think they can get over on the people by just switching, changing definitions. Hell, they did it with vaccines. So I guess they can get away with it. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Um, All right, let's uh, go ahead and take another quick break. We want to thank our sponsor here, Eden Pure. So Eden Pure, I've got in the house over here um, in our utility room, where we have the cat litter box, which I'm sure those of you who you, we love our cats, but the litter box is not the most pleasant part about owning a cat. Well, if you have Eden Pure, you don't have to worry about that because uh, it's an air purifier. This is the thunderstorm air purifier that uh, uses oxy technology, and it actually has O3 molecules that seek out and destroy all of these uh, odors, viruses, mold, whatever it is in your house. If it's uh, maybe you have a a family member who smokes, which they shouldn't, but they do. Maybe you cook a lot of of meals in the kitchen that are very pungent and you wish that you could get the odors um, out of there quicker. I highly recommend this. We use it. Uh, my son is thrilled because, as in his words, you know, he he can't go into the utility room when the cat poops. Oh, and now he can. It's no problem. He might be a little dramatic. I don't know where he gets it from. But anyway, you can get the uh, the three-pack Thunderstorm if you go to EdenPureDeals.com. Put in discount code Sarah3 to save $200. This is a really, really great deal, guys. I use them. I love them. You really need to go try it. You can go to EdenPureDeals.com. Use discount code Sarah3 to save $200. A video game series that has marketed to children and teens is now under attack for its recent update, allowing characters to have double mastectomy scars and chest binders. Yay! This is The Sims game. This is The Sims 4. So those of you who maybe you have children or teens who play this, um, you need to know that this is what's going on in the game. They call itself the ultimate life simulation game. And they just announced yesterday that they would allow players to give characters top scars that come with, you know, I don't know, chopping off your your breasts. So there you can see, those of you who are watching on the program can see no shirt on, just some jeans, just a nice pair of jeans. And, you know, just kind of showing off these, uh, these top scars here. I, I don't know how you can say that this isn't just a trend, that this isn't just the new fad when you're talking about, I mean, why else would a character have their top off? Let's, let's, let's say that it's a guy. I would love to know. I don't know how much you guys know about this. Eric, I know you're a gamer. I don't know how much Sims 4 you play, but I would, I would bet that you can't get a character, can you get a male character with no shirt on and just, hanging out shirtless. I mean, it just feels overtly that it's just like, show it off. It's a trend. Yeah, I believe you can. Um, I haven't played, I mean, Sims and I don't know how, how long. I didn't even know they were still adding stuff to uh, Sims 4. But yeah, it's like just what it says, like a life simulator where you can have this little 
your this character do all sorts of other uh, random stuff, and you have to make sure they eat and all that. Um, but yeah, like I believe that some of the male characters, at least you know, at points could have their their shirt off so i don't think that is necessarily new but yeah this is a bizarre thing to certainly add into this uh sort of thing look it is a game where people larp right so i'd I'd imagine that goofballs like that would play that type of game sims uh that type of game but it, it doesn't stop it from being a very weird sort of addition to show because i'm not sure what exactly that adds to let's say the the actual game uh, as far as making it better uh, by by any means. It's a very bizarre thing, but it does speak to kind of where we're going kind of just societally. Um, you, you know, we're seeing this in other games as well, that they're doing sort of weird things to try to cater to that de- demographic of, of people that I don't know how many of them are actually gamers like that. But to be fair, if they are, they're probably playing Sims because they get the LARP. Yeah, well, I, that's a great point. But John, I it's just like... I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I have a very small scar on my nose from, you know, a swimming pool accident when I was like 10 or whatever. I hate it, though. Like, I, I wish that I could. I wish that it would go away. I wish that I didn't have it. I can't recall a time other than people saying, like, don't worry, son. Chicks dig scars. I can't remember a time where we're just like celebrating scars. Well, that's the thing is your scar uh, maybe is not your favorite thing, but it's not fundamental to your identity. So uh, we all have insecurities that are, you know, maybe sort of accessories to our identity, but typically people aren't insecure in their actual identity. And when they are, I mean, I'm sure we've all throughout our lives met people who are insecure. What do they do? They cope with that insecurity by bragging, by, you know, saying things about how much money they have or how much whatever to brag or to kind of cope with their insecurity. And it's very, you know, easy to see through that kind of behavior. And this is the same thing that the LGBT people do. You know, I was in a Twitter space last night and I heard something from somebody which is very popular popular rhetoric and it's very well-meaning and it's reasonable. We hear this all the time. People will say, well, if you want to do this, I don't care. You want to do this. I don't care what you do in the privacy of your own home. But like, I don't understand why you have to bring kids into it, why you have to keep shoving it down everybody's throats, blah, blah, blah. And I believe them. I believe that they don't understand why this always happens. And, you know, looking at the perspective of history, It's been this way for decades. I mean, they keep pushing further and further and further. And if you acknowledge that past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior, it's unreasonable to think that these people are going to stop anytime soon. But the reason that they always do this is because they are insecure in that identity because what actually causes these types of identities to develop, which is a conversation that nobody has anymore, isn't just, you know, you're born this way or you develop into this preference the same way that like Eric is a gamer or I like, you know, rock music or something like that. This is your identity as something that is like abnormal and deviant and it's an antisocial response to trauma. There is no group of people in the world who is more mentally ill per capita than LGBT people, which again, we don't say pejoratively, we're not trying to antagonize these people. It's simply a fact. There's no group of people who has higher rates of anxiety disorders, major depressive disorders, personality disorders than these people. And there's a reason for that, which is they are traumatized and they are coping with that because at some point during their childhood, there was some disruption in their natural natural, uh, natural development into respectively a masculine or feminine identity. And so they are coping with that. And so they need everybody else to affirm this identity because it lessens their anxiety, not significantly, but to some degree, if everybody at all times is saying, yes, you're valid, yes, we agree with this, we're supporting you or whatever. And that's actually more harmful 
we can even prove that empirically, uh, then it is helpful to them. But people just don't want to have that conversation anymore because then, of course, it's also beneficial to, you know, government, to power in this country to have this sort of mental illness and delusion throughout society because if everybody's confused, it's easier to control them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we, uh, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We've only got about a minute here, and I want to give a shout out to the uh, Blaze TV chat. You see, we were all iced in, and um, I was making pancakes for my children and decided to go watch the Glenn Beck program in the morning and enter the chat, and everyone was like, is this the real Sarah? I don't believe you. I'm not sure if this is the real Sarah. And they even asked me, guys, you'll like this. They were like, well, who's going to be on your show today? And I was like, Eric July and John Doyle. And they were like, all right, well, we'll find out if this is really you when we see if they're really the ones who are on the show. Um, and then of course we taped early and I was like, oh no, Eric's not gonna be here. But now it is clear it was really me. They asked me to give them a shout out. So shout out to the Blaze TV crew. Uh, thanks for always being there and tuning in. We appreciate it. Again, Eric July, uh, John Doyle. I appreciate you guys as well. Stay warm. And I think we're broadcasting from here tomorrow too. I'm not sure, we'll find out. We'll see you then. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.